According to a McKinsey study, there are more women in entry-level retail jobs than in any other industry. However, as their careers in retail continue, only 30% of these women make it to senior-level leadership positions, and of those, only 13% make it to the C-suite. This is the Women's Retail Collective podcast, where we pull together retail's most influential women to talk about their careers, how they made it to these senior-level and C-suite positions, and how they lead their organizations through a rapidly evolving retail industry. Today on the podcast, we're so fortunate to have Amanda Brinkman. Amanda is Chief Brand Communications Officer for Deluxe and host of the Small Business Revolution on Hulu and Amazon also, right? Yes. Yeah. Amazon Prime Video picked it up. Awesome. Welcome to the show. I've been so excited to have you here. And as we were talking about earlier, one of the reasons why I really wanted you to be a part of this show was because the main motivation for this podcast is to expose people who are coming into retail careers to expose them to all of the opportunities that are out there, whether it's, you know, the opportunities that come with retail technology or, um, you know, working on innovation and next generation retail concepts. But in this particular case, I'm, I'm excited to talk about small business revolution and how you're looking at what Main Street America looks like and how retail plays into that. And and the fact that, you know, you're a, the chief brand and communications officer at Deluxe, but this new career path that you've created for yourself. So if you don't mind, can we can we kind of start at the beginning and find yeah. out... <laughs> How where where you where yeah. you came to this career and and where the path kind of kind of led you? Um, well, so way back, like high school. I mean, you can go, <laughs> Amanda. There are no rules on this podcast. When I was you can talk six, about anything. No. Um, but seriously, when I was six, my mom used to always say that I wouldn't really watch the programming, but when the commercials came on, I was like glued to the television. Which now, as a parent, I kind of get is just the trick of like all kids do that. Right. But that was like a guiding mantra. Like my mom thought that meant I was predestined to go into advertising and marketing, uh, and she wasn't wrong. Um, but I, I I grew up in a house where it was really important to give back and to volunteer and to love thy neighbor, and it was very much about kind of that social good. And I remember though being very attracted to like the production film advertising marketing world. I just found that sexy and I love creativity and design. And so I remember one time in high school, I was talking to a teacher. You're having the classic, you know, discussions about what do you want to be when you grow up? Right. And I said, well, I am really attracted to like advertising and marketing and film, but I don't, I don't know. It just seems so secular. I, I think maybe I should join the Peace Corps or <laughs> become a teacher or like make the world a better place somehow. I said, I feel like I should be out there doing good. And I remember he said, just clear, Claire's bell. He said, like, but Amanda, if people who want to do good in the world don't go into marketing, like, how will marketing ever get better? Wow. I know. It was like a, it was like one of those like very pivotal moments yeah. in how I even thought about my access. And I think, and, and to this day, that has been kind of, um, and, and you'll see it play out throughout my career, but that has been kind of my guiding mantra is like, you can do well by doing good. You can, uh, you can, in the business world, do good for other people. It's not just the nonprofit world that that can do that. In fact, big business has a responsibility right. um, to give back and to make a difference in their customers' lives. And um, 
so yeah, so now that's kind of my mission is to like kind of um, help business from the inside out figure out, you know, not just what is your brand purpose, but what is that unique brand action you can be taking and how can business be for good? Right. Um, and not just in the philanthropy space or not just in the nonprofit space, but how can, you know, actually for-profit business like have that goodness at the core? So where did you start to do that? Where was the first place that you were working that you tried to put that into action? Uh, the first place I actually got to put it into action was at United Health Group. Um, but there were a ton of building blocks that had to come in my career first to qualify me for that job. And so I think specifically if your audience is kind of starting to you know explore different career opportunities, I think there is something to be said for – um, there are going to be some years where you almost kind of feel like you're paying your dues or you you envision what you want your job to be and then you take that first job and you're like, this isn't what I thought it would be or it's not. But there might be something you're learning in that role that is going to be foundational to something you're going to do two jobs from now or 10 years from now. And so always kind of feeling like you have a vision for what it will feel like and your end job or, or that, that, um, goal, not the end job at like the very yeah. end of your career, but like, what do you want your dream job to feel like? But what are the things you need to learn first to be good at that? And very few people can come right out of school and, and land right in that. Um, and so what are some of the fundamental things you have to learn? So I started my career. I just tried to like, I just, um, uh, was a voracious, uh, um, consumer of like anything mass communication. So even in high school, once I kind of felt like I had permission to go after this field, right. <laughs> I started um, uh, doing things like writing for the Minneapolis Star Tribune to learn journalism and working for the my college um, radio station to learn um, that kind of journalism and how radio station runs. And I, I took an internship at a PR agency. And so even before I got my first actual entry-level job, I was trying to just kind of really understand the industry. So sure. even when you're thinking through what you're doing in college, or um, some of your first jobs, thinking about how are how can you learn as much as possible about your industry to inform either what you really truly want to do or your skill set. Or even more importantly, maybe what you don't want to do. Oh my gosh, right? Yeah. yeah. No, totally. I learned a lot about what I didn't want to do. Um, and uh, yeah, absolutely. And so then I then I started out at the ad agency side. I was at an agency called Cam Lathoon. It's now McCann, Minneapolis for a few years. And then I went to Fallon. And that's where I really fell in love with kind of branded entertainment. Uh, I was blessed to be able to work on the BMW films, which kind of really created that category of branded entertainment. And it's still kind of held as a gold standard within that um, within that genre. Um, and Fallon was just such a great creative agency. And then from there is when I moved on to United Health Group and really started to put into play um, this uh, kind of how can you as a business do good. Uh, and it was in in the way my team was working and, and what we were doing for United Health Group. But I really needed all that experience that I had that I had up until that point to truly be qualified for and successful in that role at United Health Group. So I view everything up until that in service of kind of this mission. And then, and then you ended up at Deluxe. Is that the next step? No. So I was at United Health Group. Okay. Um, and I, I, we built out a group that was focused on consumer engagement. So you would know it now as like the health and wellness program at an employer. But at the okay. time, uh, nobody was really focused on the root cause of why healthcare was becoming so expensive. So I, it was at a time when high deductible plans were starting to be introduced so that employers could share the healthcare costs with their employees. But nobody was kind of focused on like, well, what if just less people smoked or what if more people drank water or were more active? Like what could that actually do to reducing your healthcare costs? Sure. And so while I was brought into United Health Group to build an internal internal um, marketing or creative agency, we started doing these campaigns that were um, aimed at employees 
of our large employer clients as a healthcare company um, around these health goals. And so I felt like we were on the good end of healthcare. We were helping people make healthier decisions. We were using the practice of marketing and strategy and communications and how you compel someone to and and, um, inspire someone to do something the same way we use that to help people make purchase decisions, we were helping people use that to make health decisions. Okay. So I felt like that was the first time I was able to kind of apply this, like, you know, how can, you know, this is good for United Health Group to have this kind of a group that was focused on consumer engagement. Um, but we were doing good for people by helping them lead healthier lives. Uh, and so I felt like we were on the nice end of healthcare. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, and then I went to Allianz and worked a lot around um, uh, fiscal literacy, around some of the products and around um, people who are retiring. Um, uh, Allianz uh, is a huge global financial institution and very well known in Europe. It's like the number um, two or three financial services brand in the world, but in North America has very low brand awareness. And one of the products that we sold is, or they sell is annuities and it's a very complicated financial product, but is is very suitable for most people who are um, entering into retirement. So we worked a lot around fiscal literacy and really understanding how those products worked. Um, and I felt like we were doing something good for that population yeah. to really understand how to have retirement income and feel more peace in retirement right. and not scared about their finances or understanding them. And then uh, I consulted at a year for a year at General Mills um, and helped them think through kind of their content strategy and how they were going to build up kind of a content studio. And we were making great progress. And um, I was loving the fact that I was getting back into this kind of this content space. Sure. And then that's when Deluxe called. So does that make sense? So yeah. agencies, United Health Group, Alliance, and then uh, now Deluxe. Well, I think there's this really great theme that you've you've challenged yourself with um, that's not only allowed you to do well by doing good, but also allowed you to give insight to, I think, a lot of different industries, whether it's advertising or healthcare or the financial industry or retail, how you're you're able to think differently by having this kind of mantra or mission at the core and how that ultimately makes everything better. Like you're benefiting in, in several instances here from that way of thinking. Um, so now at Deluxe, what what's your role like there? And then how did that translate into the small business revolution? So I was originally brought in to help figure out how do we turn around a hundred year old brand that's right. known for a legacy product in decline. So when I joined, it was 2014. We were a year away from celebrating our hundredth anniversary. And so Deluxe's legacy is in the check printing space. We invented the way that most of the world actually still moves money. Um, but you and I aren't writing personal checks at the same right. rate. And so so years ago, they could tell that that was on the horizon. So they started to evolve as a company. And so now we can help small businesses with all of their marketing needs as well as their financial needs. Okay, But nobody knew us for that. And so the challenge was, how do you celebrate a centennial in a way that's forward-looking, not a legacy driven. How do you, so that people know us for the new things that we do? How do you um, do it with not a huge budget? How do you do it when you're being dramatically outspent by your competitors? And, um, and, you know, how do you truly kind of turn this tide of raising brand awareness? Because we had like less than 1% brand awareness with small businesses that we did this, all of these marketing things as well. And so, uh, I just felt like we had to do something really bold and something um, that was going to really stand out and that would stretch our spend. So instead of just doing an ad campaign, we needed to create beautiful content that people wanted to spend time with and share on our behalf. Right. I think that was when I was reading about kind of the coming of small business revolution, 
that is one of the most, I think, intelligent decisions was looking at and knowing what you can spend. And and as Deluxe, you know, this company that has a significant budget, but thinking about different ways that you can spend that money. Again, going back to your mantra of how how do I do well here and do some good for for humanity and like taking a look at what's happening and how you're really able to take that marketing budget and use it to help people and to create awareness around what was going on in small communities or rural communities in the country. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that doesn't get talked about as often as it should. I mean, we have these huge epicenters on the coast talking about like startup communities and what new technologies are coming at us. But there's a a huge population in the middle of this country that is not getting those resources. And and these small towns are facing some really difficult decisions, Um, you know, and and that's what I, I love about, you know, how you kind of created this concept. So you're in your you're in your fourth season. You just mm-hmm. wrapped fourth season. Yes. And you're about to start season five. What what is involved and what are you doing for a small town? If you can just kind of give us a, a quick overview of like, here's what happens, here's the process, and then let's hear about what some of the success stories are. Cause I imagine that's a big a big fun thing for you to talk about. Yeah. So well, so the Small Business Revolution is a series where each season we revitalize a different small town's main street through its small businesses. Uh, so the process for doing that is we ask, we really want as many towns and businesses to benefit from kind of this positive momentum. Surrounding this whole thing, we're trying to create a movement around inspiring people to recognize the importance of supporting small businesses. Uh, the show's focus is around smaller communities because the thesis of the show is that small businesses are so vital to our economy and to our country that if you have a strong small business core in something like a small town, that actually that entire town can thrive. And so we're really trying to prove how important small businesses are by showing them as you know the heroes within these communities. Because when you think about small towns, when you tell someone to go visit Red Wing, Minnesota, you don't talk about the big box stores on the edge of town or uh, the national restaurant chains. Right. You talk about like, you got to stay at the St. James Hotel. It's gorgeous. It's historic. Or you got to go to Hannish Bakery. The, the donuts are phenomenal. You got to go to um, uh, the Red Wing Brewery. They make their pizza crust out of, you know, spent grains. Like you talk about the small businesses. That right. is what is making these towns unique. And so if we're not in our small towns and in our urban neighborhoods and and throughout the country supporting those small businesses that make our towns and communities unique, then they're not going to exist. And we're going to kind of just become this very bland, big box feel. And nobody really wants that. So the process is we ask people to nominate their favorite small town and then um, Deluxe will invest half a million dollars in revitalizing the winning town's main street. Um, uh, And we'll, again, do that through small businesses. And then that winning town will be featured in the show. So we uh, each year we get about 13,000 nominations. We've had over the course of the five seasons over 35,000 towns nominated. and uh, we then narrow it down to the top 20. We have a whole great social media activation around that to get these towns excited about their small businesses because, again, it's all movement-oriented. And then we put boots on the ground and go out and visit the top 10 communities. 
And then after that, those visits, we narrowed down to the top five, and then we put it up for public vote. And it's so fun to see each year how the voting increases and the celebrities and advocates that come out of the woodwork get bigger and sure. bigger. Like season four, Blake Shelton and Reba McIntyre really? and Billy Joel. They were all advocating okay. for um, for the different towns that they were passionate about. It was really fun to see. Um, and so and, – and how great for those towns, right? Like Durant, Oklahoma – it has got to feel such a sense of pride that Blake and Reba were like behind yeah. them, right? Yeah, you know, and just give that town that swell of of pride. And um, Canyon City, Colorado, was was who Billy Joel was throwing his support behind. And and so we really do all these stages because we could just pick a town and go film the show. If yeah, it's just about a show. But we do all these stages so that as many towns as possible can benefit from kind of this positivity because small towns are great at banding together around. Um, tragedies, like maybe it's a, a weather disaster or a fire right. in the downtown. But the fact that this is something really positive, like tell yeah. us what you love about your town and tell everyone that you know to vote for your town is right. such a great reason to get out in social media and tell people why you love where you live. And um, it just re- we see this renewed sense of pride in these communities. Um, so then once the winning town is announced, I always have a fun surprise pop out on stage moment, uh, which is uh, very fun. Um, we then open up applications for the businesses within that community to apply to be on the show. And then we um, get hundreds of nominations and we narrow it down to the six that will be featured in the show. Okay. And we do uh, – Deluxe goes back to actually all 10 communities and host marketing seminars. So we work with more businesses that, than are just featured in the show and specifically in the small town. We work with all the businesses. But we really can only feature in depth six within the series. And each episode is essentially a makeover of – that of a particular business that we've selected and we help them with their marketing, with their finances, physical improvements, operational improvements. Um, and so, yeah, that's a process. I lost track of the question. No, I just kept you've got it. You've got it. It's a, there's a, there's a process that goes into it. Uh, what, what is surprising you when you're going into these small towns or what, what are you seeing most commonly uh, is affecting the the main street businesses in these small towns? That the local residents don't understand the importance of supporting them themselves. So, uh, you know, and, and we do see that throughout the process, people really get it like, oh, gosh, I want a cool coffee shop in my town. So I need to start going to the cool coffee shop. Right. I can't just um, support a national chain. I need to go to the one that I want to stay in business. Um, and so they're kind of seeing this renewed sense of like pride for the businesses that are there and this responsibility to support them. And they're also being inspired to step up as leaders, even if they're not in an official, um, you know, uh, civic role. Um, okay. The towns that we see that are really successful there's a number of factors. There's about five of them. But one of them is that we see people, just residents saying, I think it'd be cool if we had a Friday night festival and everyone came downtown. So instead of waiting for someone to do that or complaining that we don't have it, I could help get that started. Like, yeah. I don't have to be the main street director or the governor to do that. I can um, – or the mayor to do that. I can I – can, you can you can be empowered to start that totally. yourself. Yeah. yeah. And so I think we can all be inspired by that, whether we live in a small town or a neighborhood or a suburb. Like, what do I want in my own quality of life that doesn't exist? And how could I be a part of helping that come to fruition? Right. Is there anything that you're seeing happening in in the retail industry at large? You know, you kind of have one end of the spectrum with these small towns that you've been able to go in and work so closely with. Um, is there anything that you're seeing that that has kind of changed your thoughts or approach to 
um, how where retail is headed or kind of what the direction you think we should be going in? I've seen that the pressures that small town retailers think that are unique to them are actually the pressures on all retailers. And those are the big box stores versus small business. That's online competition. That's price competition. And so the the number one thing that we talk to retailers about is online competition isn't going anywhere and, and big boxes won't um, either for a long time. So how, what do you do that is unique? What is your differentiator? Like what is it that you can offer that a recommendation engine online can't do and a box arriving on your doorstep can't do and, uh, you know, an hourly employee at a big box won't stop to help you with. Right. Um, what can you uniquely do? And it's usually around that service. It's around curation. Uh, it's around product. And so people are hungry for stories behind the things they buy. Like I don't need a story around my toothpaste or, <laughs> you know, being able to get uh, the my hair product delivered in two days because I'm out. Like yeah. those things are going to be convenience buys and that um, can be helpful. And right. so everyone's going to have those consumer buying habits where there's some things that convenience is going to win and price is going to matter. But those are those commodity items. What is something that only your store or your online um, store can offer? Is it is it artisan goods? Is it jewelry? Is it, you know, and where's the story behind it? Everyone kind of, when you do support a small business, you like doing it because there's a story with it. We love to give gifts like that too, right? Like right. I, I bought this and I met the woman who, who made this piece of pottery and she's from Wyoming and, and here's her story. Like there's something to it versus like I found this at, you know, enter X. Right. Big box store. It doesn't, it doesn't have the same story. Right. So we're just always encouraging retailers to like, don't try to compete on the things that you're not going to win on. Those, those really high commodity where you can't, you're never going to buy at the same volume. Like let the big box stores and online retailers play that game. Right. Focus on what only you can uniquely do either on the, again, the curation, the product or the service. Wow. What a career you've had to this point. Where where are you with where your expectations were and, and where you are today? Well, I think they've evolved over time. Like, I think that is something I would definitely advise people who are for sure getting into their career or even in the middle of their career that kind of be open to the things that are speaking to you in your role. Like, I definitely thought when I was taking uh, this job at Deluxe that I would be, you know, the you know, the chief brand officer or, or it's kind of our version of chief marketing officer for this size company, a $2 billion company. And then my next job will be a CMO at a bigger company. And I'll just keep kind of like going up the CMO ladder. And now after being exposed to like this, really exposed, I mean, I was exposed to it with BMW Films and the work I did at General Mills, but being really exposed to the genius of kind of this brand as a publisher and owning your own narrative and this branded entertainment that's done in a beautiful, authentic way. Um, and like this kind of like brand purpose into brand action combined with that right. storytelling. Now that I found like, that's what I want to focus on next in my next role. Like I just want to keep proving that this model works for other businesses and um, that it wasn't an anomaly that, that the small business revolution as brand entertainment has been so impactful to real people as well as our business. So if you couldn't be in your role at deluxe next year and you had to go to something next but you could pick whatever you wanted to. Where would you tell yourself to go or what's calling you? Yeah, I think the the most obvious one to me, and usually a person's wrong, that's why <laughs> God or the universe or whatever you believe always has a bigger plan than even you can imagine. Right. You know, like I think we go through life and we're kind of like, I think life is one part hustle and showing up, like the good kind of hustle, like yeah. working hard and showing up and doing the work, quality work and 
and just doing what you can do to advance your career. And then it's one part like, again, God or the universe is like in the background, like connecting all the constellations that like if you knew about them, you'd run after them with such, you know, kind of unabandoned that like you'd wreck it. You'd wreck the beautiful like chemistry that needs to <laughs> sure. all happen to like make it happen. And so that's why I think we don't always know what's next because – it's probably bigger than what we would create for ourselves if we were in charge of it. So, um, so anyway, so I, I say all that saying that my, my instinct is like, well, I'll go to another brand and prove this out. Like I've got a great show idea, uh, for Target. I think we have other incredible companies right here in the Twin Cities. Like I don't even think I need to leave the Twin Cities to prove this out at bigger companies. I mean, we've got, companies like 3M and Cargill who have a beautiful stories to tell about how they're impacting the world. Right. And so I, it, to me, it seems like the most natural next step is to go to another brand and prove this model out. But it could also be fun to actually go to like an actual distributor and help them figure out how do you do branded entertainment for multiple brands at one time? Like yeah. I do think this is the future of marketing. Like how do brands become publishers of their own, not just like content, like social media posts. I'm talking about something like this, like either a beautiful documentary or a series that has a point of view. Um, and so, so I don't know. And, and I think that again, when we think about what I was talking about earlier, when you think about all the things that have to happen in your career to lead you up, like I have the, from a branded entertainment perspective, I, I haven't have done the branded entertainment thing, but I've also understood like what a brand needs out of that kind of work too for it to work hard for them. So it's not just the production world and it's not just the brand world. It's kind of those two things coming together. So, so, so branded content is a new platform. Like you're saying, it's the kind of way that marketing for sure is going down that platform. We've experienced that ourselves with third house and Amitok, but how are you coming up with these ideas or like the, the places that you want to take these brands how are you keeping yourself curious and figuring out like how you spark these ideas? I first start with the customer and like what matters in their life beyond what you sell them. So, um, you know, for us, when we're working with small businesses, like what matters to them is getting more business, like more people supporting them. They need all the other things that we do, all the other resources, but at the core of it, it is people understanding their importance. And so it's like, you, you can't just think about brand entertainment, like we'll create this interesting show and then like you'll see our product in the background and the logo. It's like, no, what are you actually doing out there? And then do the storytelling. Like the storytelling is the vehicle, but the storytelling isn't the answer. The answer is like, how are you taking whatever your brand purpose is? Like what the world would be missing if you weren't in business? Then defining like what is your unique brand action that you can take to actually make a difference in your customers' lives? And then how do you create really beautiful storytelling to surround that or show it or advocate for that thing. Um, and so it's really about starting with what actually matters in the lives of your customers. And I think most companies would probably stop at what their products or services do. And it has to, you kind of have to take it a step further than that mm -hmm. because your products and services are an answer to that same thing I'm talking about, which is what matters in your customers' lives, like what your what your problems you're alleviating. So focus on those problems or challenges. Right. How can you help make those things better? And then the rest will come along for the ride. Your products yeah. and services will come along. In the end, we're all competing for people's time anyway, right? That's so, exactly it. Like mm -hmm. especially with the small business revolution, like like we thought we knew all about how to market to small businesses. We thought right. we had keywords locked down. We thought we had all the traditional marketing, marketing things done. And then even just through producing a series, we're like, nope. Like that's not how entrepreneurs are searching for 
things. They, first of all, they don't know they need half the marketing that we do. Right. It's not occurring to them that their website might not be optimized or that they haven't claimed a listing or that their logo could be better. Right. <laughs> uh, it, that hasn't occurred to them. But they are wanting a break from being an entrepreneur. So they're going to watch programming and shows like Shark Tank and like the Small Business Revolution and things where they feel like they're kind of spending some downtime being entertained. But it's categorically interesting to them because right. it's about another entrepreneur, another small business. So it's like it's a it's a beautiful combination of like this is actually how you break through the clutter is investing in something very different because um yeah, people are just so ad nauseated now, right? We're getting messages and we're targeted everywhere and we know our phones are listening to us and it's all becoming very ugh. but like a show about like actually helping people like that's watchable. Yeah. And then and then people more than watchable, yeah, <laughs> entertaining and and happy, and we need some good some good news in in the world. Well, you've told us so much about this career that you've built. I'm really excited to follow where you go next um, and the other good that you continue to do. Looking back on your career, if you were going to give some advice to the people that are, you know, whether they're just starting their careers out in retail or they're, you know, mid to senior level management in retail and are trying to figure out what's next, what would that advice be, Amanda? To constantly be connecting with people. I actually don't like the word networking because it sounds transactional. Like you have something I want and I want something you want and I want to network. Right. Uh, I even use the networking voice. Um I think it's about like I don't wait until I'm looking for my next job to like start having coffees. Like I just always am meeting with people who do interesting things and it's never that I am seeking something from them. Right. And I always say yes when people ask because people did that for me early in my career, but um if I see an interesting article about someone, actually if I connect the constellations back, that's how I ended up getting the call from Deluxe is I just sent someone an article I, I read about a really interesting business he was running. I thought it was cool. It had nothing to do with marketing. There's no way we'd even ever work together. And I just wanted to meet and hear about his journey. I just want, I was just curious. And so made a great connection, a, a human personal connection. He introduced me to someone. This person at the very end of the coffee said, Oh, have you ever thought about deluxe? And I was like, and at this point I was consulting at Journal Mills. And I'm like, no, no, I'm happy at Journal. It's all going great. It's like, I'm going to give him your name anyway. Yeah. And then. Here we go. And so if I had never maybe reached out, maybe I still would have gotten a call from Deluxe. Who knows? But I love to kind of trace that back and how you just never know. I've never gotten a job because of who I know, but I certainly think my name has been brought up or I've gotten an interview because I've spent time curating the people in my orbit and and who I spend time with. And I think, um, so that'd be my biggest piece of advice. Just always be meeting with people. Like even if you're super happy in your job, that isn't actually why you should meet with other people. It's right. because we can all learn something from other people. And usually if they're not from your industry, you actually learn, I think more. Yeah. Like, cause you, you get so used to your own kind of, um, uh, the way you talk about your stuff, your your own terminology, your own lexicon. And it's like it kind of helps to break out of that and just find out what makes someone else successful in a different industry. Yes. And you have if you are doing that, 
we have no excuse because you maybe have the most jobs of anyone I've ever met. <laughs> Forbes contributor, producer, show host. Like, and by the way, you have a full-time job as yeah. chief brand communications <laughs> officer for Deluxe. You know, just a few things going on. But but I think that's really encouraging to see someone like you who is still participating in that and you're still kind of on that journey and using that to help inform kind of what your next step might be. Um, Can I just build on that for a second? Yeah, people use the term personal brand a lot, like yeah. just in the just in the in the business world, like oh, build your personal brand. That's becoming kind of a catchphrase, and people will say that to me sometimes, which is very nice of them. They say you have a great personal brand. People seem to have an impression, a po- really positive impression of you. They know who you are, and that was never like a strategic, like here's what my personal brand right. is going to be. That was literally from what I just talked about. It's just that I've just spent time getting to know people over the years and you just never know where that leads and just saying yes and showing up and it's not like I can go to every event or every charity event but I try to show up when I can and you just never know what you're going to be delighted by and just being eager for human connection and like and that's why I like the word connect like I, you know, like they say in yoga, like namaste, like the light in me sees a light in you. Like yeah. I, I, I want to affirm people and, and, and make sure that they know that they're seen and heard and what they're doing matters too. And I think if you just live that way, this quote unquote personal brand like comes yeah. along for the right. Like you shouldn't. It develops. Yeah. It grows. Yeah. 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 You're a, just nurturing. A brand truly is what you're actually doing. Well, I'm going to close with one question that I ask all the guests on this show if you were going to go back in your career, if you want to start it at age six when you started watching television commercials, <laughs> that's totally fine. If you were going to go back and send someone a thank you note for the impact that they had on developing the personal brand that is Amanda Brinkman today, who would it be and what would you say to them? I would send it to my mom and I would say to her, uh, I never understood the value of the confidence she was giving me from like when I was little like I just never thought I couldn't accomplish things and it wasn't in a how we're kind of concerned about that as parents now like are we giving our kids too much confidence are we showing them how real the world is it was just in this like no you got this go ask go do it here's how you like I remember when I was you're going to start being a babysitter. She taught me about how to make a flyer and go door to door and how that service will matter and like to list my differentiators. Like she was like, and I don't think, I don't think she would define herself as like a business or a marketing mind. And she totally is. She was, she was the one who taught me how to kind of be that kind of entrepreneur for yourself. And so I would go back and thank her for just, um, just teaching me of, of a way to see the world that my decisions matter, that I can, I can, I can do it. And that um, never be afraid to ask, to introduce yourself, to be to be outgoing, um, to take the risks, because without those risks, there will be, you know, there's no reward. And the safe space is comfortable, but but you just limit yourself if you just play it safe. Well, Amanda's mom, thank you for doing the, that for Amanda and for giving her to all of us and for you being here, Amanda, today to share your story with us and all you're doing with Small Business Revolution. We've been following it really closely because it's making such a huge impact on on the Main Street America that we don't get to hear from as often. So thank you so much for being here today and thank for you sharing for your story. And thank you for what you're doing through Third House. It's really amazing. We need more incredible entrepreneurs like you in in any community that are really creating something that's such a beautiful and unique thing. So Thank you.
If you had to design your own concert and you could pick three bands that are dead or alive, who would they be? This is your, like, Lollapalooza. You're deciding who the headliners are. <laughs> you can even pick the venue this if you want to be so staring. Question. I would say uh, Fleetwood Mac, uh, CCR, and kind of into Lizzo. Like, yeah. It would be quite a, it would be quite a concert. <laughs>